If I was in my car, I would be pushing replay over and over and over again. Sometimes we think God is there for everybody else. No, he's there for you. He's there for you. You're his child. And you're as special in the sight of God as any one of his other children. And don't ever forget that. Uh, thank you. I, I appreciate that song uh, so much this morning. As our Savior taught and preached to the multitudes of people, he often made references to, to things that were part of everyday life. Um, he talked about soldiers. He talked about um, shepherds and sheep an awful lot. Uh, John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep and so forth. But one of his most familiar, familiar uh, illustrations he used had to deal with farming and, and crops and growing things. It was an agrarian society. Uh, almost everybody in Israel at that time, uh, they had a garden out back, they had a field, they had flocks of sheep, they had herds of animals and so forth, and that's how they made their living, that's how they fed their family, and so he related Bible truth to them using those types of illustrations. Toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, as we read with Brother Tim, the Savior is taking time to warn his followers of the dangers of false prophets. There have always been teachers out there that will teach contrary to the Word of God. And the Savior said, you, you need to be wise and have discernment and understand uh, what a false prophet is like so that when one rears its ugly head, uh, you, you know to reject that type of teaching. And in the verses that he, he read, look at verse 15 again, if your Bibles are still open in Matthew 7. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing. Remember, he often compared us to sheep. The Old Testament did. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Um, he said again, they come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Every time I read this verse, I go back to my childhood days and the old Mighty Mouse cartoons. How many can relate to me? There's a whole generation or two in here thinking, what on earth is he talking about? Uh, that's when cartoons were worth watching. Uh, but in the Mighty Mouse cartoons, there was always these little flocks of sheep, you know, just bouncing around the field. There was usually music going on. And there were always, you know, uh, you know the, the group of wolves there, and they were putting on, you know, fake uh, sheep's wool and stuff like that and coming in, bouncing around the field and slobbering all over themselves. And, and their goal was to, you know, eat the sheep, and Mighty Mouse would come along, here I come to save the day, uh, and all that kind of stuff. And the sheep were just too dumb to notice that, that, that that's really a wolf, uh, that type of thing. And uh, it, it's, it's really what the Savior's saying. Here, these false prophets, they come along saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian too. Oh, oh yeah, I believe the Bible too. He says, but, but they're not sheep. They're not born again. They're not saved. They're not bringing you truth. Uh, they're ravening wolves, and they have one de desire, and that is to draw you away and to devour you. 
The evil one himself is compared to a lion in 1 Peter chapter number 5. Uh, uh, to be sober, be vigilant for your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. So it doesn't surprise us that false prophets, uh, if you will, the ministers of evil, would be uh, of the same ilk in seeking to destroy the flock. How are, how are God's people supposed to tell the difference between false prophets and the real thing? Well, the Savior taught them. Look at verse 16. Ye shall know them by their what? By their fruits. Notice he did not say you'll know them by their works. He said you'll know them by their fruits. The fruits is referring to the end result of their works. He talks about their works. Look at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? That's a work. In thy name have cast out devils. That's a work. And in thy name done many wonderful what? Works. They're going to point to their works and say, look, we did all these good things uh, and so forth, but the Savior said, you'll know them by their fruits. The fruit is the end result of the works. Let me give you a rather extreme but historical illustration to help you understand this. Adolf Hitler was at one time named Time Magazine's Man of the Year. Pretty much tells you what Time Magazine's estimation of people's worth. Do you understand that Adolf Hitler took Germany out of the depression while we were still trying to figure out what to do. The rest of the world was still languishing in the Great Depression and the economy of, of Germany was booming. He was building highways and bridges and rebuilding the infrastructure that had been devastated as a result of World War I. Uh, the German people themselves uh, were being lifted out of poverty level and the average German uh, was living uh, better than their parents or grandparents ever had. Uh, new home uh, uh, construction was on the rise. He was building hospitals. Um, he was making advances in science and technology and in medicine. And we know a lot of that uh, was done in a very, very vile manner. But, but as far as the world saw, they saw this guy who loved this country, was bringing his country out of the dust. And other nations of the world were actually looking to him to see what he was doing. Uh, England was sending envoys over to Germany to try to pick his brain and build a friendship with him uh, because it looked like he was the hero and the savior of Germany. But the end result of Adolf Hitler was the destruction of his nation. By the time uh, April 1945 rolled around, Germany lay in, a, in smoking ruins. Berlin was a pile of rubble. 14 million people had died in World War II. That's not just the 6 million Jews. There were soldiers from every nation of Europe. All over Europe, the devastation was there. We know now uh, about the concentration camps, the medical experimentation, and all the other things that went on. You see, his works appeared to be so vital and helpful to the nation, but the fruit of what he did was destruction. How many understand the illustration? 
So the Savior said, it's not by their works ye shall know them, because they're going to come along and do a lot of good things. He said, it's by their fruits ye shall know them. He goes on, look at verse 16. Ye, know, ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns? Yes or no? No, you go out to a grapevine if you want to get grapes. Do men gather or, uh, or, or figs of thistles? Do you gather figs out of thistles? No, from a fig tree. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Does that not make sense? If it's a good tree, it's going to bring forth good fruit. He says, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. When I was a boy, I grew up in, in uh, rural western Pennsylvania, grew up on a farm. Uh, we just rented the farmhouse, uh, but we had access to the land, and my dad put out gardens and stuff. Uh, but, but right beside our house on, on the hillside was a, a pretty good size, size orchard uh, that, that had been there for years. And there were various kinds of apple trees. Uh, there were several kinds of pear trees. There were some peach trees, cherry trees. There were a couple of grape arbors uh, and, and stuff in there. And we had access to all of those things. But there was one particular apple tree. Uh, it was actually the biggest apple tree there. Uh, the landlord assumed that possibly it was the oldest one that was there. Um, and that tree every year was loaded with apples. Sometimes the other trees had very little in the spring. Boy, the blossoms were there, and it was just a beautiful sight to behold. When you walked out uh, the door of our, our farmhouse, that was the tree that you saw. Uh, and it was just a beautiful thing to behold. And then the apples would form and so forth. But in all the years that I lived on that farm, we lived there until I was about 14 years of age before we moved away, that tree never produced a single edible apple. Over the 10 or 11 years that we lived in that farmhouse, the thousands upon thousands of apples that were produced by that tree were inedible. Absolutely inedible. The only thing they were good for was attracting deer the deer evidently don't have a very sophisticated palate and didn't much care. And that was it. Um, it, it I, and we don't know what was wrong with it. The landlord would prune the tree. Uh, he would do everything that he knew how. And the next spring when things grew and, and the fruit came on, it was just there was something fundamentally wrong with that tree. So eventually all they could do with the tree was just cut it down and get it out of there. It was it. it it was pretty in the springtime, but it was useless beyond that. The Savior said again, look, if you would please, in verse 17, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit. You're one of, or the other. Neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. So the Savior keeps addressing this same, this same issue of the fruit that's produced. Uh, you, you'll know them by their fruits, not necessarily by their works. Uh, they, they, they might be faithful and they, they might teach well and they might sing well and they might be busy and, and, and all of those things. He said, but th those are works. Those are works. He said, but that's not how you know if it's a good tree or a corrupt one. It's what's the fruit? What's the fruit? Now, we realize he's talking about false prophets here, 
But you understand as believers, you and I are supposed to bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. Keeping your place here, can I get you to go to the Gospel of John? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Notice what it says in verse 16. John 15, verse 16. Ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. That means that God has given you a purpose. He's given me a purpose. I've ordained you that ye should go and what? Bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. You understand that our prayer life is directly linked to the type of fruit that we are bearing. It's, it's directly linked. So the question is, as a believer, are we a good tree or are we a corrupt tree? It won't be determined by how well you can teach. It won't be determined by how big your Sunday school class is. It won't be determined by how well you can sing. I, I love listening to Brother Adam sing. I, I wish I could open my mouth and that kind of sound comes out. But when I open my mouth, the angels weep. They put the flag at half mass. I, I just don't have it uh, and so forth. But the truth of the matter is, as wonderful as that is, and I'm not picking on Brother Adam. Uh, I'm not saying he's a corrupt tree or whatever. But the determination of whether we are a good tree or a corrupt tree, is, it has nothing to do with talent. It, it, it has nothing to do with the time we invest. It has to do, what, what are the results? What are the fruit? What are the lasting results of our influence on the body of Christ? And we all have one. We all have one. So the question is, is it good or is it corrupt? That's a big question we all have to answer. So as we walk through the scripture, what kind of fruit should we be producing? Turn, if you would, to the book of James chapter 3. James chapter 3. The fruit that we produce, if we are a good tree, the fruit that God would have us to produce, that he's ordained us to produce, is number one, it's supposed to be sweet fruit. Sweet fruit. Uh, James chapter 3, uh, if you'd look please, um, the Bible says in verse 5, even so the tongue, we all have one, right? The tongue is a little member and boasteth, great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Have you ever said something and the moment you said it, you wish you could take it back? But ever do that? Isn't it amazing how quickly a rumor can get started? And it doesn't, it doesn't even have to be true. We, we can get something started, you know, in a heartbeat. Think media. Um, even so, the tongue is a little member. It boasts this great things. Verse six says the tongue is a fire. A world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Boy, the Bible has a pretty strong denunciation of the capabilities of the human tongue. The book of Proverbs is the book of wisdom 
in the Bible. Do you know that the book of Proverbs talks about our tongue, our mouth, our lips, our words more than any other subject? Uh, James earlier said, Look at verse two, in many things we offend all. We all mess up in a lot of things, in a lot of different ways. He said, if any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Um, we, we all have issues, we all have different issues, but when it comes to this thing in our mouth, that's where, that's where we have our problems. So James is setting it out. Verse seven, for every kind of beast and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly what? Evil, full of what? Deadly poison. Now look at verse nine. Therewith bless we God, even the Father. Proclaim the glory of the Lord, right? Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Therewith, bless we God, even the Father, and with the same tongue, and therewith, curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Now, wait a minute. Didn't the Savior say that a good tree cannot produce corrupt fruit and that a corrupt fruit can't produce good fruit? Is that not what the Savior said? Um, so here we are, thinking that I can praise God out of one side of my mouth and I can condemn everybody else out of the other. That goes against the teaching of the Savior. How can, how can we be a good tree if we're producing that, that, that unruly evil, that deadly poison? James continues on. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, read the last part of verse 10 with me, church. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. He goes on, doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter. We have a water fountain out in the hallway out there. You push, there's three buttons, one on each side, one in the center. And you push it and water comes out. Do you know that no matter which side you put, it, put on there, cold water is going to come out? You'll never get root beer. You'll never get whiskey. Uh, you'll never get mud. You'll get nice, clear, cold water every time. He said a fountain produces one or the other. Either it's sweet water, it's consumable, it's helpful, it's refreshing, or it's bitter water. He's asking the question, doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Church, what's the answer to that question? No. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries? Yes or no? No. Either of vine figs. Yes or no? No. It goes against nature. Um, so can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. So... Part of the fruit we're supposed to bear is sweet fruit. That's the words that we speak. Proverbs 15, 5 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein, that's in the tongue, crookedness, that's the praise God from whom all blessings go. Boy, do I hate this person. Boy, can I tell you some dirt on this person? Uh, that's perverseness. The Bible says therein is a breach in the spirit. 
Colossians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, let your speech be always with grace. That every word that comes out of our mouth ought to be touched by the grace of God. So that person that you've been talking about behind their back, was that with grace? Was God's touch on that? Did God listen to you, put them down, and they're not there to defend themselves? And God say, attaboy. Man, that's awesome. Or honey, that was just really a blessing. As you said in the nursery, just instead of watching those precious little kids, just using that as your time to talk about all the people you don't like in life, was that with grace? Yes or no? No. So why do we do it? These things ought not so to be. Proverbs 16, 21 says, The wise in heart shall be called prudent, and the sweetness of the lips increaseth learning. There's just something about it when somebody uses their words rightly, and they're touched with the grace of God. Let your speech be always with grace. Always, that's a great word. It comes from a Greek word that means always. All the time, 24-7. Let your speech be always with grace. A person that's like that, they make a difference for God that is a lasting one. This is that fruit that remains. This is that fruit that helps other people grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ rather than driving them away. Again, the Bible, the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom spends more time on this subject than on any other because it's one that we all deal with. And let's face it, it's one that we all struggle with. This, this tongue in, in our carnal nature wants to get away from us and, and words just come flowing out. Um, and before we know it, we have, we have cursed or denied or we've, 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 we've gossiped or we've, we've slandered or we've whatever. And the, the Lord is so displeased with that. And you understand our words have consequences. Is there anybody that's out of church because you badmouth church so much that they decided not to stay? Pretty quiet. Is there anybody that's in church because you were such a positive influence pointing them to the things of God, talking about what God's doing, talking to them about prayer? As they went through a situation, you pointed them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Is there anybody in church because of how you used your words? A fountain can't send forth both sweet water and bitter. And we've got to get over the, the illusion and the delusion that we can do that and that God's okay with it. He is not. Sweet fruit. Proverbs 27 and verse 9 says, Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. Bible days, they didn't take showers every day. Sometimes water was a scarcity. They would often wash their hands before they ate a meal. Uh, many times they'd wash their feet before they go to bed. They wore sandals everywhere they went. But the idea of, you know, taking a bath, that, that type of thing, uh, it's not that they did not do it. They just didn't do it like we do. I, I'm not sure about you. It, it's if I go a day without it, it's like, oh, no, that's just, there's just something gross about that. 
So what they did in Bible days, since, again, water was sometimes scarce, um, you know, what happens to you when you don't take a bath? You smell. Especially you out working the fields and all the things that, that life did. That could, get, that could get pretty nasty, couldn't it? So they had ointments that they developed, and they just smear a little here and there to try to overwhelm the other smell. Um, how many would rather smell Stetson than B.O.? Even if you don't like Stetson, that, that's a whole lot better. You, you know it is. Uh, how many would rather Chanel Number no. 5 than Dirty Feet? Feet are nasty anyhow, let alone smelly feet on top of all of that. Um, so that's what it means in Proverbs 27.9. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart. It's like, well, that smells a whole lot better. So does the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. The influence of your words on other people. What's it producing? Is it producing happier Christians? Stronger Christians? More loving Christians? Or cranks? And people that are unhappy. People that are miserable with their church family and with their church and with the Lord. You're bearing fruit. Your words do that. Words have tremendous power. The Savior said he's ordained us to go and bring forth fruit. I'm supposed to be bringing forth sweet fruit, and so are you. Someone said, we ought to come lay our tongues on the altar, but I don't think the altar's big enough. And we don't have enough mops to clean it up afterwards. But the reality is, if we get our tongues right with God, most every church problem is done. Most every family problem is done. If we get our tongues right with God. So, in, in the light of Scripture... Are you a good tree or a corrupt tree just based on the words of your mouth? There's no, well, I can praise God and still criticize this person. James said, these things ought not so to be. You may be living like that, but, but that's not a good tree because a good tree can't bring forth corrupt fruit. How many understand that? Uh, by the way, if you're mad at me on this, please don't be. That's Bible. Okay, I dare you to be mad at the Bible. Okay, you can beat me up, but you ain't going to do anything to God. We really have to get this. Uh, sweet fruit. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Some of you are so happy I'm moving off of that one. But don't worry, I can always come back. By the way, I'm not, I'm not trying to hurt. I'm not trying to be unkind. I, I, I want us to be a church filled with good fruit trees. Amen. Our youth group. Our youth group. Do you, do you understand that teenagers are walking around with burdens that are heavier than most any generation before them? Do you understand that? Uh, some are coming from broken homes. Some are coming from homes with drugs and all types of other things in there. Some are coming from homes where there are things that are breaking their heart, but they tell nobody about. When they come to church, when they come to school, when they come to a youth activity, when they come to Sunday school, they don't need you making fun of them. That's, that's corrupt. They don't need you putting them down. They need somebody to say, hey, can you sit beside me today? 
Hey, I'm really glad you're here. Hey, is there anything I can do for you? Do you know if you'll take the time, you can spot somebody that's got a burden. You can see it. And sometimes you have to say, is everything all right? Anything I can do? And sometimes that's all you got to say. They just need to know somebody cares. They don't need to be torn down. Understand that. By the way, moms and dads carrying bigger burdens than just about any generation before them. Not just the inflation and all of that, but the things that we're battling in culture today, trying to rear our, 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 trying to rear godly kids in an ungodly world is a battle, is it not? Man, when we come to church, we don't need to be ripped apart. By the way, when we come to church, we don't have to face people that have been ripping us apart behind our backs. We need to come to a place where we just encounter a whole bunch of good trees. Isn't it awesome on a nice, hot day to go under a shady tree with a glass of iced tea and just enjoy the coolness of the shade? That's refreshing. That's what we ought to be to everybody around us. That's Bible. Strengthening fruit. Strengthening fruit. Ephesians chapter 4. Look, if you would, at verse number 11. The Bible says, and he, the Lord, gave some, and he's talking about spiritual gifts, spiritual positions in some cases. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. This is not a complete list, but he's just talking about that God puts some people in the church, that their job is to, to serve, to represent the Lord. And here's why, for the perfecting of the saints, to help the saints become more like Jesus Christ to grow in grace, for the work of the ministry, to, to, to make sure that the, the little ones are cared for and the teens are cared for and the older folks are cared for and the needy's cared for, the work of the ministry for the edifying, that's the building up of the body of Christ. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Um, God's placed every one of us here and God's gifted us uniquely, not to show off our talent or our gift, but to be an influence to strengthen everybody around us. That, that's what Ephesians chapter four is all about. Uh, uh, how, are you, how are you helping to perfect the saints? I, I mean, really, how, how, are, how are you doing at that? Uh, is that even on your radar? How, how can I be a blessing to somebody? How can I help? How can I encourage somebody? How can I help somebody grow in grace? The perfecting of the saints. How can I get involved and, and help the church be more functional and, and, and be out there to reach more people and, and train more people for the cause of Christ? Uh, how am I doing it strengthening God's church? What am I, what am I doing? Uh, strengthening fruit. I haven't mentioned this young man in a long time. I talked to him, talked about him in the office uh, with the secretaries recently, but I got saved in 1972 off of a bus route. My first Sunday in church, uh, my family had actually driven in. We had gone to Bible school in the bus all week long, and we, we drove in. Um, it, was, it was in all respects for us a new church. We had just moved to the area a couple weeks prior. I knew nobody in that church by name. I didn't even know who the pastor was. I'd been in a youth thing all week long. 
uh, and so forth. And uh, so walked in. I'm straight off the farm. Um, I, I was like four foot nine, maybe, uh, at that time at 14 years of age. Um, and uh, I was skinny and scrawny. I was not athletic. Uh, I had the black uh, uh, glasses with the electrical tape both ends because I kept breaking them and the whole I, I was your quintessential nerd in every way um, you know I had the pocket pen protector and I knew what all the pens were for that's just who I was when I walked in I was not the cool kid wasn't even a little bit I walk in I have no idea where I'm supposed to be it's a big church several hundred people at that time I had no idea where to go I, I was as out of place as could be. I knew no one there. And a young man came walking up to me. I'm four foot nine, and he was same age as I was. He was already six foot tall. Dark hair, good looking. He was on the high school tennis team. He was uh, highly intelligent. It turns out his father uh, was the youth pastor, a layman in the church. Father and mother were both public school teachers at the time. Dad was the youth pastor, had been there for a number of years. And he walked up to me, and here's this cool guy that knew how to dress, that knew everything, walked up to this first-time visitor, this little nerd, and he, he stuck out his hand. He said, hi, my name's Jeff Arthurs. What's yours? I said, my name's Tom. He said, how old are you? He said, 14. He said, what grade are you going into this year? I said, 10th grade. He said, man, that is great. You and I are both going into 10th grade. What school are you going to go to? I said, I'll, I'll be at Hemfield High School. He said, that's my school. Come on, you're going to be in my Sunday school class. He didn't ask my mom and dad if, they, he, if I could go with him. He just grabbed a hold of me and took me downstairs. I sat beside Jeff uh, in Sunday school class. Then he took me upstairs for the morning service and said, I, I'm singing in the choir, but when I come back down, uh, just sit here and save my seat. I'll sit with you in church. And from that moment on, from my very first Sunday there, a teenager got over himself, got out of himself, left his group of friends and all of those things and befriended a stranger, befriended a kid that was bewildered, that was brand new to this whole thing called the Christian life. I didn't know churches had church on Sunday night. I didn't know they had Wednesday night service. The next Wednesday night, Jeff Arthurs called my house. My parents filled out a visitor's card, and he found out what my, my phone number was. He called my house and said, hey, on Wednesday night in our church, we have a teen youth group meeting while the adults are having prayer meeting and Bible study upstairs. Uh, my parents said, if you would like to come, we'll come to West Point. It's on the other side of town. We'll pick you up, and we'll take you to youth group. I'm a stranger. I know, I know nothing about the Christian life. I don't know anything about the Bible. But there was a kid who reached out to me in my entire high school time. Jeff was the one constant there. I never heard Jeff criticizing the pastor. I never heard him putting down the youth pastor. I never heard him slandering the school. I never heard him talking bad about anybody else in the youth group. I heard him talking about the Lord. Jeff's the one that took me out soul winning. Yeah, Jeff's the one that would help me in church find a place in the Bible where we were supposed to turn to. Jeff's the one that showed me the book of index in the front of my Bible so I could find those places all by myself. Uh, Jeff taught me how to do Bible drills and, and, and things like that. And uh, Jeff made such an impact on my life that I believe that when we stand before God, anything good that may have come out of my life, there are going to be rewards in heaven for Jeff because he was bearing strengthening fruit. 
So is that what you're doing with your time, your talent, your treasures, your words, your influence? Are you a good tree bringing forth good fruit or is it corrupt? It cannot be both. It's one or the other. Sweet fruit, strengthening fruit, and I'll hasten on. I don't even know what time it is because somebody's sitting in front of the clock back there. Spiritual fruit. Spiritual fruit. Turn, if you would, please, to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 22. The previous verses talk about the works of the flesh, all the wicked things that our human nature is capable of adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft. We haven't done any of those, but then there's the word hatred. Variance, that means sowing strife. Emulations, exalting yourself. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, being jealous of somebody, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. By the way, did you know God doesn't see big sin, little sin? He just sees sin. Said you shouldn't have anything to do with any of it. Okay? So he, he tells us that. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, that means this is what the Holy Spirit produces. The fruit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance. Then he says, against such there is no law. There's no laws that relegate that you have to do these things, they flow from within. You don't legislate spirituality. It's produced by the Holy Spirit within us. If we live in the Spirit, if you're saved and you're alive in the Holy Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Spiritual fruit. Hey, hey church member, hey, Christian, hey, person here or on live stream today, does Galatians 5, through 25 describe you not just now and then we all have a moment I'm just talking that's that's really you it's really you the Bible says if I live in the spirit and I do I got saved and my body's the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in me which we have of God we understand that I'm supposed to walk in the spirit meaning that I'm letting him control everything about every action that I take and if I am doing that, it automatically produces love, joy, peace, long-suffering, and so forth. Does that describe me? I'm not asking you. Well, maybe I am. Because by their fruit, you should know them. Well, you can't see in my heart. Yeah, actually, we see a whole lot more than you think. Really do. The Savior said, By their fruits ye shall know them. The biggest apple tree, the one with the most blossoms that just lit up the springtime and the fragrance was absolutely amazing, produced inedible fruit for years and years till it was just cut down. It was useless. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be somebody that can sprout some limbs and some leaves and put out some, some, uh, some flowers there. I want the fruit that my life bears 
to be sweet and strengthening and spiritual. You're supposed to have the same. That's not just a preacher thing. So, your life, does it demonstrate a good tree or a corrupt tree? How many are saved? You could could honestly say, preacher, if I die this moment, I do know for sure you'd go to heaven. Isn't it wonderful that God so loved the world and sent you a savior? That's a wonderful thing. Can we pray together? Father, thank you for the gift of salvation.